get Rochester's first hat in this. Mm. Um, it's a good hat when he rides Jane down on a horse, but it's definitely <laughs> Jane's fault because she had the gall to be walking in the woods. I mentioned, I had a note about that hat too. He wearing that hat, he looks like Van Helsing, like Hugh Jackman's Van Helsing, which Ooh. we all know is like, Ooh, huge plus points for me. But I also noticed, so even though it's a very good hat, I think it's clear in any scene where he's riding on his horse while wearing it, they've clearly stapled that hat to his wig. <laughs> Do you think his a wig? Oh, that's totally a hairpiece, Lillian. 10,000%. The beautiful curls? Because I was going to ask him about his his hair routine. Because I have curls like that. Nope, that's a wig. I I pride myself at being very good at being able to spot uh, a lace front. And I'll tell you what, (laughs) that is a wig. That's amazing. Good morning, Lillian, and good morning, listeners. We're back to another week of AirBuds. How's it going, Lillian? It's going really good because I'm a morning person, which you're Yay. less so. And this am, is the earliest we've ever recorded. It's true. I, I chugged as much coffee as I could. I finished the last 20 minutes, which I hadn't <laughs> finished yet, which I'm so glad I did because there was a while when I was thinking, I was like, I've seen enough versions of this and I've watched this one once before. Maybe I don't need the last 20 minutes. I needed them. Yeah, I'm so glad. so good. <laughs> oh, it was so good. Um, but before we uh, put the cart before the horse, um, if anyone here, if this is your first episode, welcome back. Uh, welcome for the first time. Um, but uh, a quick rundown of the story in case you're unfamiliar with Jane Eyre is this is the story of a young girl who uh, had a bad childhood and uh, went to a scary school. And when she was old enough to leave, she did. And she found a job uh, where she could teach, uh, be a governess for uh, the ward of a handsome and mysterious man at his spooky estate. Uh, and while there, they fall in love and he decides to do a lot of weird mind games with her so that he can find out that she likes him. And uh, when she when he finds out that she does like him, he's like, let's get married. And she's like, cool. But then on their wedding day, it stopped suddenly when someone says, I object. He's married. His wife is still alive. And she's in uh, been locked in the attic of his house. And uh, Jane runs away, finds some new people. Uh, and one of them is a guy who wants to marry her, but he's like, I don't love you at all, but I still want to marry you. And she's like, well, that blows. I'm going to go back to the other guy. And when she's there, she finds out that his wife is dead. And so now he's a free agent, (laughs) but (laughs) as penance for his badliness, he is now blind and his hand is all crispy, but they fall in love and they get married anyway. And it's a happy ending. (laughs) So that's the story. (laughs) That's amazing. First of all, well done. What a great, I love speed runs of Jane Eyre. Yes. I think they're so good. Um, I do want to brag just a little bit about me and how cool I am. Last week I did the summary 43 Mm -hmm. seconds. You were a minute and five seconds. So I'm just saying I'm still the one to beat. Yes. Well done. (laughs) Thank you. I have so few things that I need like Jane Eyre superiority on. And this is the only (laughs) thing I have so far. Amazing. Um, so this uh, week we watched the 2006 uh, miniseries uh, from BBC as well. Um, but this one, I don't know if it was originally a two-part thing. because I was double checking that because we did have some confusion on my end about how many episodes there were. It was right. originally four parts. Okay. On Hulu, they put it together. They put nice. the first two episodes together and then the second two episodes together. Awesome. Um, and so that's, that's, it's, it's two episodes on there, but according to Wikipedia, it was originally four episodes, all one hour. Okay. Cause I was going to say it as the two part thing, it's like each one is like a movie essentially in itself, which is why yeah. you and I both had to reschedule at some point. Cause we're like, <laughs> oh, we thought we saw the whole thing. <laughs> yes. I did send you, we were supposed to record yesterday and I sent you a text and went, I messed up I didn't watch the second (laughs) half because I was so just so everybody who hasn't watched this version the second the first episode ends like with her going back home and I kept being like there's a lot of story left to tell in 45 minutes BBC (laughs) I was like this can't be it and then I went and looked at Hulu and was like oh no there's two more hours I don't have the time Anyway, that's yeah. more context than our listeners probably needed, but I think deep down they wanted it. 
Oh yeah, no, I think it really helps. Uh, I'm sure to you know put themselves in our shoes and be like, what were they thinking as they were watching this? Yeah. Uh, but we're going to share that with you because uh, that's why we're here. Lillian, any opening thoughts or initial takes on this version? I think the first thing that I think is so wonderful and different about this one is you're absolutely right. I think I can't remember your exact wording, but you said that the Rochester was like the most sympathetic, I think. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. Rochester gets a really good edit in this version of Jane Eyre. He, he really is does. the sweetest little Bane. I'll talk about this so much more, but I think the biggest difference is this is the very first version of Jane Eyre where I didn't want her to leave. I was like, yes. actually, he seems fine and just be his other wife. Bigamy is not a problem. <laughs> no, I totally agree. Um, I agree. I This is the most sympathetic Rochester. I also think he's the sexiest Rochester. Mm-hmm. But they really go for the whole uh, romance cover, like novel cover, like look for him. I mean, both just like when he's like fully dressed, let's start there. (laughs) I mean, the hair is good and his like his stares and everything. Mm -hmm. But when we get the flaming bed scene, he's all like billowy shirt and you can see like his strong pecs and it's like, oh my God, what's happening? (laughs) I'm pretty sure what I wrote down is this is the first time we've seen Rochester's chest and I'm on board with it and we're all okay with it we're like "Ooh, damn girl stay don't run <laughs> one thing also about rochester that i really liked is one of my first notes that i made here i like the decision to make rochester a naturalist like i thought it was a cool introduction that before he even comes back to thornfield when jane is just kind of exploring she goes into his office which first of all bold but i guess the door was open so she's like why not and she's walking around and you see he's got you know Uh, drawings of animals and insects and he's got lots of taxidermy and then that's uh it's proven when he does return and he kind of gruffly but still like with good intention insists on taking Adele his ward out to the river to like give her a nature lesson essentially and I thought that it was cool to like that they established this is something that he knows about and is passionate about and is being like well this is something I I can teach Adele and I liked that he took that active role in her education and mm-hmm. in this version too I really felt that Jane and Rochester are more of parental figures together uh for Adele which I don't think we see in other versions absolutely like they are such a happy family I think One of the things that I noticed that kind of aligns with how we've talked about the last two versions, we talked about how in the 2011 version, they have like real chemistry and there's like real heat there. And then in the 97 version, they didn't really have the chemistry with their inability to kiss, (laughs) but they did have the relationship because they talk to each other. And I think this brings those two worlds really together because we see them talking a lot and we see them talking a lot as individuals. And then we see them like going on like cutie little family picnics and going yeah. on little family shopping trips, which was when I out loud went, you can't leave him. Cute. But they also have steamy, steamy chemistry, Yes, which I think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the speech scene. So we're going to have to Rochester's speech. So we're going to have to not go into that rabbit hole immediately and just spend a full hour talking about that. But exactly. What were you going to say about the shopping trip? Oh, I was going to jump into talking about the scene in the carriage, but I think maybe we should talk about some like early plot stuff before we dive into all the really good, like juicy segments. Another thing too, kind of along the lines of like the naturalist thing that I thought was interesting about this adaptation is they really focus on uh, birds a lot. There's kind of a bird metaphor that's used a lot Mm -hmm. throughout because there's Jane's interest in birds, both in the book that she reads and there's Rochester's interest in birds and how he studies them. But then we talk about like when the party happens and all of these people are here. And one of the guys there is something of a scientist or a philosopher. He's studying these two twins that are at the party. And, but he's like talking about all kinds of stuff. And one time when he and the group are out walking the grounds, he sees a sparrow and he's like, oh, this sparrow, it flies off to tropical locations, but it always comes back here. And that's kind of both symbolic for Rochester who, you know, goes off to exotic places around the world so he can have 
uh, comfort and community to escape the sadness of his past, but he always returns to gloomy old uh, Thornfield. But it's also kind of similar to Jane, where Jane is the one, too, who flees uh, when she's, you know, confronted with this horrible truth, but she also returns like this sparrow. And we also have when Bertha is on the roof and before she jumps, there's a barn owl or some kind of an owl there and it flies off. And she's, that's like kind of her inspiration to be like, maybe Mm -hmm. I can fly too. So lots of birds in this. And we've got that story that Rochester tells Jane or he's telling Adele very clearly about Jane, about that bird. And that's, that's the through metaphor that we hear. And it might be that same bird that the scientist guy mentions, but like Jane is very clearly this bird that he's obsessed with. Oh, totally. Um, And I loved with that scene that that I thought was a really subtle way for him to be like, Jane, I, I see potential and beauty in you. Like on the outside, maybe you're just like this gray bird, but I know that inside you've got these fiery wings. And I thought that was a really subtle flirt. Well, and you can even see that in the way that she dresses, like in the costuming, you can see that she starts like I, I noted in that scene and there's some other things with her childhood that I want to talk about because I think it's always important to discuss her tragic <laughs> childhood. But the scene where she's a teacher and she's getting the letter, you can see all of the teachers up on the stage and they're all wearing this dark gray, except for Jane is wearing a lighter gray, setting her wow. apart from the rest of the group, but Very she's nice. still in gray. Mm-hmm. And then when she is at Thornfield, as she gets more comfortable with Rochester, she starts to wear this red scarf yes. that is very clearly attached to this metaphor of this bird that you're talking about. And then when they get engaged, she wears a pink dress and you can see like the color story in her outfits. And I, yeah. that's again, one of those things, it might be referenced in the book. I would be surprised if it was that detailed. But that's one of the things that I love about a good adaption is that it uses this medium to tell the story with this additional layer that we get to see. Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree. And I loved that. I don't think we see the red scarf around her neck until after he makes that bird metaphor, because the next day she comes down and she's wearing her little scarf. And that's when Mm -hmm. it's right after she saved him uh, from the fire and he is then gone to go enact his stupid plan and she's all sad so she takes the scarf off and she's like you fool like you thought you were pretty but you weren't and it's like no you are jane he's going off right now to go do a really stupid plan just to prove how much he loves you is he insane of course is he forgivably insane in this Mm -hmm. one yeah yes (laughs) i also before we get too far away from weird scientist guy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think super importantly, we need to talk about the grossest pickup line yet. Oh, and I think it was a little bit like there's the way that he, that that scientist guy is talking about these twins. It's a little bit, he's just studying them. It's a little bit that he's interested in them. They're sort Mm -hmm. of like the two, like maybe he doesn't even know if he wants to have sex with them or study them. We don't know, but he says the grossest thing in Jane Eyre, which is tough to do but he ding dang done did it with you are if I may say so a particularly fine example of the split female embryo yes (laughs) which is just like another code for like hey you twins are hot (laughs) he had to say it in that gross way because he's like in case you didn't know I'm a scientist I don't know if you know about how you exist but there's this thing called an embryo (laughs) (laughs) does that turn you on baby (laughs) No, that was icky. Um, But since we're here on the party and the the group of people that come to Thornfield, because that was the other thing is, I think this movie gets big points for costumes. I, there was no bonnet that could outdo the 2011 bonnet, but the costumes that the women wear at this party, like they, a lot of them have feathers in their hair, kind of with that bird theme, but there's also a lot of really pretty slow-mo of like the ladies entering the drawing room and their Mm -hmm. elegant gowns. And I have to give major props to Mrs. Ingram's hat when she first arrives. It's like this kind of sideways floppy mm-hmm. kind of pillow with all these feathers on it. Gorgeous. I loved that. Great hat. Yes. And I think Adele talks a lot about clothing and she talks a lot about liking these women. And I also and I think the way that Rochester is critical of Adele's vanity, which was a little bit harsh, but also like, we understand why he's critical of that. I think because, because Adele is very clearly infatuated with these women and Rochester and Jane are trying to get her 
to focus more on the value of a person. And right. like these people are just dressed fancy, but they're mm-hmm. actually, there's nothing inside of them. I think yeah. speaking of hats, I think it's the perfect time for bonnet watch. Okay. Um, Tell us what you got, which I was going to put in a little stinger for it. And, but I do, <laughs> we do fully have a hash shake for it. So if you're looking for all of our thoughts on bonnets, it's bonnet watch 1847. So, uh, the first thing that I want to mention is we see that same headdress, like difference in the way that like people's bonnets are, mm-hmm. um, and the story behind bonneting when they're little girls in the scene where Jane is first at the school, mm-hmm. um, and all the little girls are wearing their uniforms, all the orphan girls or poor girls, um, are wearing these very simple uniform bonnets, mm-hmm. um, sad little bonnets, sad little um, bonnets. And then <laughs> The fancy girls, which are the, um, it looks like the, like cheat, his wife and kids are up there. Like that's what it yeah. seems to be. It's Brocklehurst's family. Brocklehurst. That's his name. Never mm-hmm. remember it. Cause he's a nightmare. Yes. Um, <laughs> he's her, his daughters are wearing very fancy bonnets. Yes. Um, and so they are the fancy girls mm-hmm. and that difference in that fancy versus plain plays out the whole thing. And you can see that Jane's bonnets are pretty simple. Mm -hmm. She does get a big bonnet upgrade Yep, when she (laughs) becomes an adult. And then again, when she becomes wealthy, but there's a couple other pieces of headwear that I wanted to mention, um, an honorable mention. We get Rochester's first hat in this. Mm. Um, it's a good hat when he rides Jane down on a horse, but it's definitely (laughs) Jane's fault. Cause she had the gall to be walking in the woods. I mentioned, I had a note about that hat too. He wearing that hat. He looks like Van Helsing, like Hugh Jackman's Van Helsing, which Ooh. we all know is like Ooh, huge plus points for me. But I also noticed. So even though it's a very good hat, I think it's clear in any scene where he's riding on his horse while wearing it, they've clearly stapled that hat to his wig. Oh, that's totally a hairpiece Lillian. 10,000%. The beautiful curls. Cause yes, I was that... going to ask him about his, his hair routine. Cause oh, I yeah. have curls like that. Nope. That's a wig. I am. I pride myself at being very good at being <laughs> able to spot uh, a lace front. And I'll yes. tell you what, <laughs> that is a wig. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that is the only hat that Rochester wears like at all is when he's riding horses. Mm-hmm. It's a good, like flat hat when yeah. he first meets her. There's a couple other good, good hats. Um, Blanche's hat when she's going horseback riding. It's very convenient that Rochester wears a really bright red and Blanche wears this really bright purple with a matching sort of top hat situation. Yeah. Um, good stuff. But the <laughs> but Blanche's best bonnet is when she's leaving. So yeah. like when she's leaving Rochester, um, she does have the only redeemable quality about her, which is great bonnet. Oh yeah. It is a bonnet. It is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Blanche's bonnet is great. If um, she's leaving, at least she can do so with fashion. Yes. And one thing I kind of love about that scene is so Blanche and her mother get into the carriage and the look on Blanche's face, she clearly knows there's no wedding happening, mm-hmm. but her mom hasn't figured this out yet. She's still fixated on the fact that her daughter, her beautiful daughter has successfully wooed this wealthy man. And so as Rochester is helping them into the carriage, she's like, oh, I can't wait to come back here soon. It's going to be so great. And he's like, okay, yep. Bye. <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> he's like, look at your daughter's face and then tell me if you think I'm getting married to her. <laughs> yeah. It's like, don't worry about it. You don't need to pick up on any of these signals. It'll be clear eventually. Yeah. And the fact that there's no wedding <laughs> that'll, that'll tip you off. There's a death bonnet. Whenever somebody's dying, they're wearing a very sad death bonnet, particularly her aunt's death bonnet is spooky. A bonnet when you're dying bridge too far for me. Love a bonnet. We've talked about this for me. Bonnets, not for weddings, not for death. Dude, I think uh, Aunt Reed wins the award for uh, grossest in bed scene. <laughs> like she's grossest. like so sweaty and sad and all of like, yeah, she's got the bonnet tied tight around her face and like a bunch of hair has escaped around the side like a sad sun. Did you recognize that actress, by the way? Because I, I, I looked did. her up. Yeah, I did recognize her and I've got a whole little thing on the cast. So I will loop back to that because I do have two more bonnets as part of Bonnet Watch. Oh my gosh. 
And I know everybody's dying for me to wrap up on it. Watch because I'm the only one who's this into it, but it'll be really quick. And then we'll get, we'll, we will come back to where that woman is from, but feel Good. free to look it up on IMDb in the meantime. Um, you can't wait. <laughs> so, so the last two bonnets of bonnet watch are from the same scene. And they're my favorite scene in this entire show, Really, which is the family outing, both Adele and Jane have amazing bonnets on the family bond the family trip Jane's has like her brim has lace on the inside of the brim yeah and it has this beautiful peach bow Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a very good bonnet not too fancy but very clearly like a nice bonnet for her nice day out (laughs) and Adele's bonnet real extra because that's what she enjoys of course um and then they go on the best little family outing yeah which again we will get to in time <laughs> let's just talk about it let's just, t- just not talk about anything else just, just jump the into family the, shopping trip. the shopping trip okay the scene that gets me the most is when he's like yep we're going shopping everyone get in the carriage which by the way i love that he buys that gaudy wedding carriage with like the front glass window it's like a a dome in the front it's so Mm -hmm. over the top and he's like let's get into our spiffy new wedding carriage baby and do some shopping and she's like I'm not driving around in that thing no we're taking the normal (laughs) carriage she refuses because it's too over the top and I love I love I love when they are riding together at first Adele is sitting by the window and Jane is in the middle and Rochester is next to her and he keeps trying to grab her hand and she keeps pulling her hand away and he's like no I am going to snuggle with you because I love you and you said you love me and she in like protest switches seats with Adele and makes Adele sit between them so he can't hold her hand I'm like why can't you let yourself be happy (laughs) it's inappropriate Piper you can't hold hands I hope you and Sam haven't been holding hands because you two are getting married eventually (laughs) (laughs) you are engaged you are promised to one another but have you been you can tell me the truth because it's Uh, just between you me and the internet no comment let's move on (laughs) (laughs) i will not scandalize myself for your entertainment holding (laughs) the other piece that i feel like i want to go back and talk about a little bit is there's a, like in general with Jane Eyre, we've talked about the fact that there's these parallels between her childhood and like how you treat children is very much like something you can see. It characterizes people, like how they mm-hmm. treat children. But I think that this version of it holds that metaphor much closer to the lens. And like, we see it so much more. There's like flashbacks of Jane's traumatized childhood and all those things. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about that and going back to her childhood as much as I just want to talk about the family shopping outing. So I think in general, and I really want to know how you feel about this. I feel like they spend less time on her childhood, but be, again, something I've seen in some of the other adoptions is like when they spend less time on it, they really make it intense so that mm-hmm. you don't get the like drawn out sadness of her childhood. You get the intensity of those traumatizing moments. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I think less is more in that department. Mm-hmm. One detail that I like that they included that I thought was a good way of showing how bad Lowood is, is that, and I think this is a detail in the book, when she wakes up the first morning that she's there, again, we have the ringing of the bell, which I'm sure you loved to see the return mm-hmm. of that. Thank but God the children have to like get out of their beds and instantly go over to these tables that have wash basins and pitchers. And they're moving kind of synchronized like mm-hmm. soldiers. And they uh, one bell ring means get out of bed. Another bell ring means go to the table. Bell ring number three means take the pitcher, smash the ice because it's so cold here that overnight your water has frozen. So you have to smash the ice and then you can splash water on your face, this freezing cold ice water. And I was like, oof, that's a great way of showing this is how sucky it is here. So I liked that. And one of the other things I noted with, again, that similar vein of like, it's really awful there that there's like dripping water and the like vibe of that whole space is just like really dark and really sad. Except for all the murals. They've got really, they've got all these extravagant Christian paintings all over the wall of either a giant painting of God staring down and pointing a finger at you or a beautiful spot that has a dove and like 
halo lighting that that's where you put a dying child but to only sleep. the really good dying children who should die alone in this other room because they're so very holy helen mm, yes well lucky sweet little helen she's our angel who dies of tuberculosis instead of whatever the other disease is that's going around. Yeah. Um, I did want to mention, and I think that like this aligns very clearly with how Jane feels about children. But one of the things that is slightly different in the way that they talk about Jane's like troubledness as a child, like these holier than thou adults is they refer to her constantly as having the devil in her. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the lines that I wrote down about her aunt, and this is similar to what they say in the other ones, which is, I've tried my hardest, but you are made impossible. And I just, I know that back then they didn't know how to talk to children and they didn't know how to treat children. And they, as we see, they have a whole conversation about whether or not children have feelings, which is really messed up. Mm -hmm. But I just want to explicitly say it is never a child's fault. Yes. Like there's no circumstances (laughs) in which a child's behavior is their fault. There's a time when that transitions to you being responsible for your own actions. But if you are a child, you are not responsible for the adults in your life finding you impossible. That's yeah. their fault. Mm-hmm. No, and I safe. just was so enraged. <laughs> I well, hate <laughs> watching adults act like the kid is the one who's the problem. These are adults who never wanted children, but they find themselves surrounded by kids. And they're like, I hate you. Go in a room and be quiet. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but I think that like Rochester is such an example of somebody who didn't expect to be surrounded by kids, like literally had a baby left in essentially a French brothel for him. Yeah. Um, and, but he still treats her like she has feelings and treats her like she's a person, but you can see like that, the devil reference specifically the idea that she has the devil in her. I think there's a lot of parallels in the way that Rochester is constantly referring to her as a witch Mm. And her initial reaction to that is to be very upset and to find that really triggering because he keeps saying there's a lot of the witch in you. And that's the same way that they said there's a lot of the devil in you. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the time, I think people probably, those two things were pretty similar, but Mm -hmm. I don't, but Rochester, the way that he means that is this affectionate teasing way. Right. And I think we can watch the way that Jane feels about that and sees that evolve. She starts to trust him to not be terrible. Like these other people in her life were terrible. And you see that when she says, she tells him to stop making fun of Adele. Mm -hmm. And he kind of gives her this look of like, what's going on? Um, like (laughs) you, I'm just teasing her. Like she, and Adele is clearly fine. Like she's, he's calling her vain and all these things. And Adele's just sort of like, whatever. I like presents and pretty things. (laughs) Well, what's the thing? Oh, it's so cute when he's down at the river and he's like, if you don't take your education seriously, like they're going to find you disgusting. And she gets up and she dances away and she's like, I would be disgusting. And it's like, she's like so (laughs) delighted by it. It's really cute. So she like, she is totally fine by that and has like, and clearly has a lot more security Mm -hmm. in her life than Jane did. So she doesn't take it as harshly, but Jane in that moment feels like she's defending Adele and like defends her to Rochester and Rochester, interestingly, like hears that and looks at her sort of contemplatively and is like, I wonder what's making like kind of this, like, I wonder what's making you feel like what's clearly fine between me and Adele mm-hmm. is not okay. And yeah. and he does think a little bit about like, he takes that in the same way that we've like, this is one of the things that I think makes Rochester, despite his sort of like gaslighting crazy, still like a really desirable man is that mm-hmm. he hears her. Yes. He listens to her and thinks about what she's saying. Yes. And that is a, I know I give a lot of like fake dating advice in the show about things that <laughs> Rochester does. That is one that I would for real love men to do. Oh yeah. No, I completely agree. And I, I like that you mentioned, you know, the look on his face where he's contemplating her words. I also made a note. I think this is the first Rochester who has actively apologized to Jane. And he does this pretty early on. Like one of the first times he pulls her into his office and he asks her to entertain him. He kind of barks at her. And then he then says, he's like, I, he's like, I'm sorry. I'm used to giving orders. He's like, look, you're already making me better. But the fact that he apologizes and he's like actively trying not to command and he's trying to listen. And I'm like, Ooh, you already have growth and you're nice. So this is, yeah. (laughs) And that same, that same conversation I have noted down 
Jane has my favorite response to his sort of demand to entertain him, which is maybe you should ask me some questions, sir. And I literally wrote, thank you, Jane, because I like that. It really nails uh, hits the nail on the head with why that line has always bothered me in other adaptations. And I don't know what it is in the book, but like, he's just like, entertain me. And I'm like, what do you mean? That puts the whole burden of the entire conversation on her. Why don't you ask her something you want to know? And he like, he does sort of go back to that and, Mm -hmm. and kind of takes that has a little bit more of that humility because he's the most um, sympathetic Rochester. I agree. Before we dive too much into uh, everything that we love about this Rochester, Mm -hmm. I want to talk real quick about how good Grace Poole is as Mm. both a character and the plot point in this version. So what I love so much about this Grace Poole is she is instantly this fantastic red herring, because if you don't know the story going into this, she's very threatening and very scary because it's mm-hmm. it's Jane's understanding that Grace Poole is the one who set Rochester's room on fire. And the next day she sees Grace in the bedroom with the other servants helping clean up. And Jane is there and she's questioning her. And I love that this Grace is just like, you should lock your room at night. It's not mm-hmm. safe. It just seems as if she burned the master's bedroom and the next day she's threatening Jane and she's like, maybe I'll come after you. Okay, I did write down specifically what she said there. Okay. And she says, it would be wise for you to lock your door. And that is such a great phrasing. I completely mm-hmm. agree that it's a great red herring because yeah. that phrasing, if you think what is clearly the story so far, again, if you don't know the other story, that is incredibly threatening. It would be yeah. wise for you to lock your door. However, if you do know, then mm-hmm. it's just really solid advice yeah. from someone who's like, like, it doesn't sound threatening with the exact same delivery, exactly. just the different context. And that's so good. It's done really well. I was going to say the other thing that's great is there's a scene later on where Mrs. Fairfax asks uh, Grace to go uh, tell Jane something. So Jane is in her room, like writing a letter. And all of a sudden she looks over her shoulder and Grace is just standing there. And she's like, oh, and it's like, from her perspective, she's like, there's a killer, there's a killer in my room. But Grace mm-hmm. is like, oh, you were busy. I didn't want to interrupt you. But anyway, I have a message for you. <laughs> but like, because she's this like hardened lady. She's like, yeah, Mrs. Fairfax wanted me to tell you this anyway. Bye. And like kind of floats away. Well, yeah. and I also think like that characteristic about her, which again, like without, I think this is a great, there's a the 2011 version in particular when you mm-hmm. saw when I saw that version there was sort of an assumption that you know the story which yeah. uh, to be fair um it is everywhere yes. so <laughs> that makes sense that you would mm-hmm. know the story going into that version of Jane Eyre this one very clearly like there's obviously value and entertainment if you do know the story mm-hmm. but if you didn't know the story I think this would be a great way to be introduced to it. I agree. Because there is a lot more of like, oh, that like that makes sense in hindsight. Mm-hmm. And I think Grace's personality, that kind of like harshness to her, yeah, um, makes so much sense when we see her interacting with Bertha. Yes. Because we see that like compassion coming from a harsh place. And I think mm-hmm. everybody's known someone like that who seems really intense, but it's the intensity with which they like take care of other people. Um, exactly. So it like immediately flips this person who seems like scary and threatening and all these things to someone who has like a harsh strictness to them because they're managing a very difficult situation. Right. And that would be the kind of person that I would want taking care of Bertha. Yeah, no, I think she does a great job. Should we talk about Bertha real quick before we yeah. just like spend another so 45 hours talking yeah. about just Rochester? So Bertha, this is the most beautiful Bertha we've seen, I think, because like every other Bertha, when she is revealed, they kind of make her look like a hag. I think they often, she has gray hair and she's ratty and it's hard to see her face. This Bertha, when they go first go into her room, she's looks like a lady. Like she's sitting there, like, you know, having a little tea party by herself. She clearly curls her hair every day. Like she looks mm-hmm. very refined. It's only once she attacks him that we see the craziness in her. Yeah. I think in the, in the other versions, they lean a lot on the visual of her, Mm -hmm. um, to establish her insanity. 
like her looking crazy is what makes her crazy. Yeah. And it makes it so we don't have to spend any time about her. We can just see that. Mm -hmm. But it also makes, because of the way that she's treated there, because of the like shabby living conditions that she has in these other versions, Mm -hmm. it makes Rochester less sympathetic. Right. Where again, with our most sympathetic Rochester, Bertha is very clearly being well taken care of here. This is not just, there's no good option. So we'll go with the best, the best bad option. Mm -hmm. This is clearly a, no, I genuinely think that Bertha is actually getting good care here. Right. And yes, she's clearly a danger to herself and others and does need to be cared for, but she's clean. She's Mm -hmm. got a real bed. She has a real space. Mm -hmm. She has Grace Poole, who's probably the best actual caretaker because she does things like go, sir, you need to get out of here and get all these people out of here. Like she is not a show. Yeah. Um, I need to calm her down and you guys have to leave. Yeah, exactly. I also think it's a good detail too, that this Bertha is like still wearing very nice clothing. And I like this idea because throughout this movie, Jane's first like hints that Bertha is there is that Bertha is able to open the window and hang this like red scarf the silk scarf mm-hmm. out the window. So she sees that scarf flying up there and that's kind of Bertha's sign of being like, I'm here by the way, just so you know. And I think it's interesting that it does seem as if Rochester is still, I mean, he's very much, we know his his love language is gift giving mm-hmm. and he likes to take care of the women in his life. And so I see that kind of as like, he's still buying her like nice dresses and things like that. And he keeps her well clothed that she has nice scarves to fly out of windows. (laughs) So, you know, there's still that element of slight care. (laughs) Yeah. And then we see way more of Bertha too. Like we get real flashbacks to him meeting Bertha and fall like, and falling for her. We actually see him and Bertha's wedding. Mm -hmm. And then we see very quick cut clips of Bertha sleeping with other men and then Bertha Mm -hmm. attacking him out of nowhere and him like trying to reason with her and then him like sneaking her back to England and all this stuff. And again, I think that just plays so much more into Rochester's sympathy. And I think if it was a time where he could just like, if, if this was now, like if we were talking about now, Mm -hmm. I would genuinely have no, I have no problem with Jane and Rochester being together. This is the first one where like, it's not just like his story feels tragic in this yes, in a way that it felt like manipulative and whiny and Mm -hmm. sad, Mm -hmm. but not as tragic as this feels. I think one thing, one detail and decision that was done in this, that makes it the most sympathetic for me is that we get two flashback scenes. We get the flashback first of uh, him courting Adele's mother and her betrayal, Mm -hmm. where there he gets cheated on, but also the fact that they show us in the flashback with Bertha that she's having sex with another man. For me, even though like Rochester's cheating is still not okay, but the fact that she cheated first that always for me kind of is like, oh, well, she did the first bad thing. So it's okay if he does a bad thing. I mean, she did that to him. Fair is fair. But also, you know, so the fact that they show that to us, for me as an audience, I'm like, yeah, okay. This makes it a lot more acceptable. I don't know. Yeah. And I think I I, I feel like it, that's tough for me because I think it makes sense. There's always this little bit of like a part of me, particularly in some of some of the adaptions more than others where I'm like, is she crazy? Or have you been gaslighting her too? Like, did you you lock crazy? Cause if you locked her in an attic and then made her watch you flirt with all these other women, Mm -hmm. maybe she's not crazy. Maybe you suck. Yeah. Like anyone would go crazy if that was the situation you were put Um, in. But I think that like the, the difference is yeah, she's cheating on him. So like very clearly, like she doesn't really like, it's not like she's madly in love with him and she might have feelings for him, but like, she just sort of like is doing all these other things. Mm -hmm. And then she starts attacking, like seeing that in the flashbacks of her attacking him. Well, like he's very clearly still trying to make it work at that point. Like even after she, he saw her have sex with someone else in Mm -hmm. their house. She saw him and casually waves. She's like, like, what up? This is totally normal and fine. And And then she attacks him and I'm like, okay, so she, he didn't make her crazy. Yeah. She was crazy. And he's trying to figure out what to do about that. 
I also love in this version when he's like telling the story and it's like, you see the shot of them like taking their vows and getting married, him and Bertha. And he's like, oh yeah. And she was really vile and crass. And as he says that, like Bertha's standing there and she, her hand is going down his back to like play a little grab ass. And he's like, no, Bertha, don't grab my ass. (laughs) (laughs) She's just a party girl. She's like, just a little bit. He's like, I just want to see what I'm saying yes to. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Gotta squeeze these delicious hams. Um, let's talk about Rochester and his delicious hams. Okay. Uh, so I think the first the first line that I really want to talk about is looping back to that first conversation that Jane and Rochester really have. Um, we already talked about the idea that he actually apologizes to her. Mm-hmm. And I think another idea that has always been subtext before, but has is becomes text in this is when he's talking to her and he's kind of trying to learn about her and tell her a little bit about himself, he says, when I was a young man, I was your equal. Mm -hmm. And that's so interesting because that, that plot line that runs through the entirety of Jane Eyre is the class, like is class, how you measure whether or not people are equal and what station people are in? Like, is that how you're measuring people? Is it moral values? Like, where are you measuring or is it intelligence? Like, how do you measure whether or not someone is your equal? And that's the Jane and Rochester are clearly meant to be those equals. And it's so interesting that this he has always put Jane above him. Like that Mm -hmm. is very clear in all these adaptions. It's always been that subtext where this is a very subtle, like it slipped into another story, but he makes that an explicit statement that he's saying that she is better than him. Yeah. Even though everyone outside of their relationship would think of him as better than her. Mm -hmm. He, he thinks that that is not in fact the case. Yeah. No, I think that's, it's well stated. And I love that he says that pretty early in their kind of secret courtship. I just want to talk about the kissing scene, the <laughs> the convincing. Can we go to that? I let's can we talk about Jane's speech first and then talk about his convincing scene? Sure. Because I think this is the best Jane during the proposal speech. Mm-hmm. She does such a great job. Like yeah. he she does such a great job of expressing her love for him mm-hmm. and that her, the way that she kind of leads up to that, like, do you think that I have no feelings? Like she so clearly is in love with him and the way that his face reacts to that of this, like realization that of how much she loves him and sort of the sadness of like, there's almost this moment of, Oh, whoops. I didn't mean to make you so upset. I yeah. was just, I didn't think that someone could care about me this much. Like it's, <laughs> it's the first time that he's like, Oh God, you love me. Like you yeah. like really love me. And yeah. I probably shouldn't have been playing games with you. <laughs> yeah. He comforts her in that scene and it's so great. And I love what you just said. It gave me kind of an epiphany. You said that he has this realization that he's like, I didn't think someone could love me that much, which that's a really good point, Lillian, because based on his romantic past, he's either had a crazy lady who cheats on him and fights him like physically or a French mistress who also cheats on him and only wants him for his money. So like, yeah, that makes sense that he would think he's like, no ladies actually love me for me. And here's Jane. And she's like, I love you so much. And he's like, oh my God, me too. But for you. (laughs) And then he gives her a tissue, which I did want her to have the whole, like he pulls out like a little hanky and I'm like, she did need that real bad. (laughs) Yes. So they didn't have to be all cryy and snotty when they kiss. Yeah. Um, they're, they're kissing, obviously the best we've seen so far. 10 out of 10. I love that they, they run away from the tree and we see it get struck by lightning. Mm -hmm. And then we have the cute, like them, like giddily running through the rain and like ducking into like archways to make out. And it's so cute. And I love that she's like, okay, I'm going to leave. No, I'm coming back. And they have more kisses and then they run off and it's like, oh, it's so good. Yeah. It's, and then from that moment, like that proposal moment, all the way through to the wedding, there's so much love there. And like, I just, it's those two layers that we talked about where the 2011 nailed the chemistry, the 97 nailed the like depth to their relationship. And this really brings those two together in this, there's chemistry in their relationship. I believe that they're really attracted to each other Mm -hmm. and they have this depth of relationship 
where they like they love talking to each other yeah. and it's so good and it makes me so sad to then watch <laughs> like the most heartbreaking like th- I will say the wedding scene was the least dramatic mm-hmm. um, yes. because nobody's yelling until Rochester yells once yeah like, the guy storming into the chapel doesn't even yell and it's like what do you <laughs> This is not, let, let, hold on. Let me pull where's, him aside. Where's the gravitas? Explain, yes. Let me explain how you interrupt a wedding because that is not it, sir. Um, I want to watch someone ride a horse across a field. Kick the anyway. door down with the horse's hooves and be like, I object. So speaking of chemistry, Piper, I'm going to yes. let you talk about your favorite scene in all of them, but also this is clearly a very different take and a mm. very good take. Rochester's speech. Yes. So as we have stated, it all comes down to that moment of how, what he says to her after she learns the truth. So in this version, we see her fleeing from the wedding and then there's kind of like a blackout. She wakes up in the moors and then she's scooped up by Sinjin and she's in the house. And then from there, it kind of is told a little through flashback to see what happened of how he approached her after this. OMG. He like she comes to her bedroom, she lets him in, they sit on the bed and like they're kissing and he lays her down like, oh my God, how could you ever leave? Like he's there and he's like giving her these like tender little kisses. And he's like, don't leave me, please don't leave me. She's like, he's like, tell me you love me. She's like, I do, I love you, but I'm gonna go. And he's like, no, oh my gosh. The passion there is so soft and gentle. And how could you say no? I loved it. It was very good. The way they told it was good. They start with his explanation of him like on the other side of the door. And instead of him sitting in the hallway waiting to trip her, Mm -hmm. he like is knocking on the door, like trying to talk to her through the door. You get a little bit of his story. You get him being like, I'm sorry. I didn't want to do this to you. Like, I just knew you would leave me. And I didn't know what to do about that. Mm -hmm. And then you see him like go in and while he's talking to her, it's like, he can't help himself from like touching her and caressing her and like the way that the camera like zooms in on his him like gently stroking her collarbone was maybe the most sexual thing I've ever seen so good like a little tease he's like what if you stayed (laughs) and then he's like wow and I think that makes like the rest of his speech like his speech is so reasonable but it also makes it clear like that's not going to be what happens when he's like, we could go away to my villa and we could pretend that we're brother and sister and we'd have separate rooms. And (laughs) I wouldn't, Jane, I swear, I wouldn't try to make you do something bad. I wouldn't, I wouldn't corrupt your soul as he's like gently caressing her collarbone. Be like, I would just like, like we wouldn't kiss or anything. Like it would be totally fine. And he says, he's like, I'll give you one peck on the cheek on your birthday. And it's like, liar, liar, hands (laughs) on fire. The whole time we're just like, she doesn't believe you. I don't (laughs) believe you, but you should probably, but I'm like, but you should probably do it anyway. Go live in this estate together and be fine. Yeah. I, I love, yeah. They bring that up again at the end when she returns to him. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I think it was they established this whole twin thing early on to have this idea where it's like, oh, like, did you hear about how there were twins who didn't know they were twins? They were separated by a continent and one of them like got sick and the other felt it and then they got reunited or whatever. And it's the mm-hmm. same thing where by establishing that when Jane hears him calling for her on the wind, it is that saying that like, we are as closely united as that. And yeah, we're she... two halves of this same whole. Exactly. And so I feel like that makes so much more sense when she goes back. Um, I, I don't really care to talk much about her time with Sinjin and the sisters. Although yeah. I have to say, I like that the sisters are, they're, they're super fun and really nice. I liked them more than any of the other uh, cousins that Jane mm-hmm. has found. Uh, the only returning... thing that I want to say about the sisters, and then I want to talk about the happiest happy ending, yes. is those two should solve crimes. Cute. The amount that they figure out about Jane when she's fully passed out, they're like, mm-hmm. here's your initials and a place that you used to live. Like, <laughs> here are some facts about you. We think because your hands are soft that you were probably like raised well, which means you probably like had a good job though, because of like your clothes, maybe mm-hmm. you're like a governess. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah, no, they are fabulous. I don't know their names off the top of my head. I should by now, but I love that they're just like, Ooh, like 
we finally something exciting. We live in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's like nothing fun here except for our stick in the mud brother. And I love that they like surround themselves with the drama of his stupid love life where she's mm-hmm. like, oh, stupid Sinjin won't admit that he wants to K-I-S-S-I-N-G with that girl who's totally in love with him. And yeah. so I liked all that drama. That was so nice. Yeah, you mentioned the happy ending. I loved mm-hmm. that we saw the the cousins there at the end and they had suitors or boyfriends or husbands yeah. with them. And it's like, oh, yay, happiness for everybody. It was the most time we spent in the Jane returning. Like mm-hmm. it was the longest amount of time we spent with them like reuniting. Yeah. And it was the happiest, happy ending. Yeah. Like that scene where, so at the very end, they're painting this portrait. And you, again, you get those cousins there. You get like Jane has this whole family there. The thing I asked for last time, Adele is there for the portrait scene. So she's in it. And she's like, which she was such a critical part of their love story. So I love that it's because it's not like the Jane's love story with Rochester is obviously great. And it's about the two of them. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I think this version nails is that it's about her life, like the life she can have yes. with him. It's yes. about the people and the love and the ability to create a space that is so caring and so the opposite of what she had, but right. who both of, and either of them, like this is, this is the first one where like, I am genuinely happy for Rochester at the end of this. Like he deserves to be happy. Yeah, And the life that they create, these two people who've been through this horrible, difficult thing, Mm -hmm. being able to, instead of becoming people who then shit on others because of it, they're both, they create this space for all these wonderful people to have these wonderful lives. Like the moment when she's talking to the, um, I don't know what his title would be like footman or whatever. Oh yeah. She's like, you're not supposed to be working today. And then like the servants are also (laughs) in the portrait Yeah, because they're part of the family. It's so good. It's so good. And he like, he sits down, he's still blind. He doesn't get his sight back. And he's like, oh, where's the baby? Put the baby in my arms. And they're like, here's your child, Rochester. And so the whole family is there. I agree. I love it so much. I think the detail that killed me that I loved is so they sit down and then it zooms out and then it becomes like a painting filter over the top. So you can mm-hmm. see that I presume Jane was the one who painted it, although she can't if she's in the picture. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe she, whatever. But I love, so when it becomes the painting mode, suddenly around it, there's a border of all of these like tropical things, which relates to Jane's whole thing of like wanting to travel. But she paints Sinjin into the corner. So it's like he was off in Africa like trying to convert people to Christianity. So he couldn't be here for the portrait, but I'm going to paint him in the corner so he knows we're thinking about him. <laughs> Last note about Sinjin being in Africa is the sisters when they're like, when Jane's like saying that he wants to go to Africa with him, say the best line, which is, um, you are both too pale to go to Africa. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, no, you'll burn up and die. That's such a great point. And maybe all British people should have just not gone to Africa. Dang. And that would have been better when that that's be nice? too real <laughs> okay you said you had some fun facts before our wrap-up what do you have yes. for me, Lillian? so I just have a couple of things on the cast so little Jane is um played by Jenny Henley who mm-hmm. was the actress in Narnia which I was know. in 2005 which so yeah. this was 2006 same vintage exactly she played um she wasn't Susan she was the other one. Oh god do you remember her name no, I just wrote Narnia 2005. <laughs> um, Lucy? Lucy, yes, it's Lucy. Friend of uh, Mr. Tumnus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Mrs. Fairfax, we talked about already, is from Game of Thrones. Her name is Lorraine. Wait, you mean Mrs. Reed? Yes, you're right. That is Mrs. Reed. This is yes. a different person. And I did not write down what she was in, but she was okay. also in a bunch of things. Oh, Mrs. Fairfax <laughs> is Lorraine Ashbourne. She was in uh, The Crown which okay. she played a character that I would not have recognized as the same actress because mm-hmm. it was a lot more recently and she wears a lot of prosthetics, but that's where she's known from. And then Mrs. Reed, uh, whose name I haven't written down, but she was um, Robert's brother's wife who had the daughter who like yes. they locked in the basement. No, yeah, she's the wife Very of Stannis crazy. Baratheon, who it's kind of her fault partially that she's like, let the red woman burn our sweet princess. So screw her. Bad in both counts. (laughs) 
Then one note on both Jane and Mr. Rochester, they've both been in a ton of other things. Mm -hmm. Ruth Wilson, who's in a lot of things Mm -hmm. at the time was age 24. And Mr. Rochester, who is played by Toby Steffens, Mm -hmm. um, was 37. So this is our closest age gap between Rochester and Jane, which I also think for me makes it a little bit better because the last one was 20 and 30 and 43, which is a much bigger age gap than 24 and 37. I thought that, like, I'm really glad they cast um, Toby Stevens or Stephens, however you say his name, um, but he just did not look old to me. He looked like he was essentially around the same age group as her, which I'm okay with, obviously. Yeah. But every time they'd cut to him and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm your senior. I'm like, no, you're not. You don't even have crow's feet. Like, you've got <laughs> soft eye skin. You are young. <laughs> well, and he also doesn't, like, she is very clearly not a teenager, which mm-hmm, I think yes. is important. Yeah. Um, cause in the other, she's supposed to be a teenager, but I just think that it makes his gaslighting so much more upsetting. Totally. Cause I do agree with Mrs. Fairfax. Usually that she's too young to understand what's going on here. Yeah. Where in this one, I was like, she's 24. She's probably fine. Yeah. She's already like been to two places. She knows a lot. Yeah. She's <laughs> lived, she's lived in, this is the third place she's lived in. So she's yeah. fine. Pretty worldly. And then I just two quick notes on, uh, less important characters who are, they're important, but just like not as main of characters. Mm-hmm. Blanche is played by Christina Cole, who I recognized from What a Girl Wants in 2003. She plays oh. the essentially evil stepsister in that very similar vibes. She was the most beautiful Blanche we've seen. I think I would say her and the last, the 97 Blanche were both really gorgeous. Yeah. And then Bessie, um, is a character that not everyone will recognize, but if you are like me, it was really bothering me. She was in Doctor Who, the Family of Blood <laughs> episode. She played Jesse. So for the small group of you who are listening to this, who also watch a lot of Doctor Who, that's where you know her from. <laughs> Fabulous. Oh my gosh. Now we know where everybody's from. So we are all caught up. Thank you for yes. looking into that, Lillian. It's fantastic. And then I'm sorry to add more time to this already long running long recording. But the most important fun fact I have is about Pilot the Dog. Okay. And I found, so he, this is a very different pilot than previous pilots. Um, I did look it up. Irish Wolfhound? He's a Scottish deer hound. That's totally different from an Irish Wolfhound. They look similar to me, Lillian. (laughs) And they (laughs) found, they're just like one little hop over in like a different animal. Yeah. He just hunts different beasts. Very, very similar. Um, but in the book, he is a Newfoundland um, mm-hmm. dog. That yes. is what he is now. And I found an article, and it's probably the most important article I've ever read. It's called A Pack of Pilots, and it <gasps> has every pilot the dog from every adaption. And I will be making new references to this every time we watch an adaption. Oh, it's my God. So important. I literally went... This is the article for our show. How did they know I needed this? That's fantastic. Okay. The pilots. Dude. Okay, Lillian, send me the link. I will attach it in our episode description so people can read this article. This is fantastic. It's so good. I will. Don't worry about reading it though. Like if you want to, great. It's a great read. There's a picture of every pilot, the dog. Oh, I love it. But also I will be referencing it in every episode because it's how we should pick which episodes we watch from now on. Speaking of... A huge thank you to Dana for reference, our amazing listener who recommended that we listen to this. She listened to our very first episode and went, Lillian, you didn't like this. You should watch <laughs> the one with Ruth Wilson. I think you'll like that one. And she was very right. I Yay. did really like this one. Yay. I'm so glad it's happening. Listeners. <laughs> Lillian is liking Jane Eyre. Is, at it the start because, of this. is it because Jane Eyre is good or is it because I have Stockholm syndrome? Mm. Listen, keep listening to find out. Well, that's the thing is, is Bertha crazy or did being locked in a tower make her crazy? We'll never know. All right, let's give our rating and then say adieu. Um, I'm going to give this one a nine out of 10 kisses. Ooh, kisses, new rating scale. That's amazing. Um, Because I don't want to say 10 because I don't want to believe that we can't go up. I want to leave room for more swooning and falling in love. So nine out of 10 kisses from Piper. I also don't want to give it 10 because I don't want to say we can't go up, but this is also such a great one that I'm giving it a 9.5. It would be really hard to beat this one. It was so good. 
And what is your metric of measurement? Pilots. That okay. it's 9.5 out of 10 pilot the dogs. Wow. That is Part, mostly because I found this spectacular article. That is absolutely fabulous. <laughs> if we would love also to know what you rate this listeners. So if you want to share your ratings with us, you can do so. Uh, Lillian, where can they reach out to us? They can send us an email at mm-hmm. uh, airbuds at gmail.com. That's also a great place to send in recommendations for adaptions that we should watch. Exactly. Um, and they can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at airbuds, mm-hmm. or we're also on Facebook um, yeah. and you can just search for airbuds podcast. Yeah. And you can leave your own ratings uh, on a podcast format. Uh, if you like our show, feel free to give us five stars in a review or, you know, just feedback there too. But that helps uh, put the podcast out in front of more listeners, but you can also share it with friends because we would love that as well. All right. So as Lily and I have mentioned a couple of times, we're both homeowners and that means there are a lot of projects that sometimes take up big chunks of our lives. So we will actually be taking a brief break. Uh, so there will be no episode next week, but when we come back, we're going to start a new kind of way of breaking up our reviews. So this will been what five episodes of mm-hmm. Jane Eyre adaptations. So kind of like when you're, you know, sampling wine or fancy cheeses, it's good to have a palate cleanser so you can continue to enjoy what comes next. So our palate cleanser will be uh, Pride and Prejudice, one yes. of Lillian and my, and I'm sure many of your all-time favorite movies slash stories. I will, I'll go ahead and just say that I think that I might have watched this again. I don't want to exaggerate. I want to give you guys a good idea, but I've watched this particular adoption of um, Pride and Prejudice 150,000 times. And I'm so excited to watch it again. Yay. We're going to watch the Cure Knightley 2005 version. Yes. Um, it is amazing. It is probably, it's one of my favorite movies ever. Um, and it is certainly my favorite period drama. So we're going to check in on another, another Jane and look at what Jane Austen's thinking Mm -hmm. and feeling. And I have big feelings about it. I can't wait. I don't know yet. We'll have to decide later on if we're going to try and like maybe draw comparisons between the Jane Eyre story and Pride and Prejudice, or if we're just going to talk about how much we love this movie who knows time will tell but we hope you'll join us uh not next week but a week from now as we dive into that fabulous story but thank you all so much (laughs) thanks for joining us we'll see you later bye bye